Let's just pray and ask God to speak through his word to us this morning. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you that you are the living, eternal, almighty God. And as we come to this section of the prayer that Jesus taught as a pattern for us, his people, and your family to pray to him and to you. We pray, Lord, that you will speak to us, that you'll open our hearts and minds to the truth contained within these words, that we'll apply them to our lives and to our prayer life, and that you will be blessed and honoured and glorified through our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The disciples' prayer, as we started last week and saw the first four words, Our Father in Heaven, tell us a lot about approaching our God and Father in prayer. Today we're looking at devotion in prayer. If you like, last week was delight in prayer, delighting in the fact that he is our Father and we are his children and we, uh, he is in heaven. Now we are looking at devotion in prayer and then the last section of the prayer, uh, which we'll deal with next week, is our dependence in prayer. So our delight in prayer, our devotion and our dependence. So today is our devotion in prayer. The first three petitions in this prayer, which we're looking at today, uh, they are God's desires that we're to pray, like what God uh, looks for in our prayer. And then we come to the second section next week, which is our needs. It's interesting that uh, in those three petitions today and next week, the another, another three petitions, uh, they all deal. They all have a focus on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, in both those groups of, of petitions. So uh, today we look at, uh, "Hallowed be Your name." That's for the Father. Thy kingdom come, which is to do with the Son, the King, who sets up the kingdom of God. And then uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Got it right. Uh, so uh, that, that is uh, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, today. And so we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then next week we'll see that give us this day our daily bread. The Father knows what we need before we ask him, Jesus had just previously said. And he is the one that provides our needs. And then uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's the work of Jesus, the Son of God. And then the Holy Spirit in uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The work of the Holy Spirit in victory in the Christian life. And so you see the Trinity in both areas. Very interesting, isn't it? Anyway, let's move into this message today about the devotion that we are to bring in our prayer life to God. Um, what we find, what I find, I think you'll find it's true too, if you really think and are honest about it, that when we come to God in prayer, we so often say, Lord, God, um, I have a real problem. You know, I'm really concerned about this and that and and so-and-so's sick, and, 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 and uh, we, we need to pay our bills at the end of the month and not sure whether we can make it. And, and so we come straight to God with our petitions, don't we? So often, so easy to do. But when Jesus taught his disciples and teaches us to pray, he says, no, before you start praying for your petitions, your concerns, 
I want you to pray for my concerns because they'll impact your prayer life. The rest of the prayer will be governed by, will be guided by the first three petitions. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray those petitions and understand what they mean, they bring us into line. They, they guide us as to know how to pray once we come to the concerns that we have that we bring to God in prayer. So the first half prepares our hearts so we align with God. It's like being out in the ocean in a ship uh, or a small boat or something and you don't have a compass and the cloudy sky so you can't see where the sun is and, and uh, you don't know which way is the way to get back to land and uh, then someone comes along in another boat and uh, you follow them and they pull you in, they guide you into line to go the right way so you can get back to land. And so these first three petitions guide us to align us with God's will and God's way. So first of all, then, our Father desires um, concern for his name. Hallowed be your name. What is God's name? What, what does the Bible mean? What does God mean by talking about his name? Well, his name is everything that he has revealed himself to be. The name represents the being. The first time you heard the name, sorry, Mark, I'm going to pick on you, <laughs> as usual. First time you heard the name Mark Glasgow, it probably meant nothing to you. If it meant anything, you found out that, that she was the wife of the guy who was going to be uh, considered to be pastor at the church for a period of time. And then she did a couple of readings, remember? Uh, she read the Bible for our service a couple of times. So you got a little bit more of an idea of who she is. And then one or two of you have had meals with us, and so you've gotten to know her a bit better. And now she's here, and you, she, she's shaking hands and hugging people and stuff, so you get to know her better. But, you know, if uh, you knew her for, like me, 50-odd years, um, you get to really know her. So her name now, for me, represents all that I understand and know about her. Uh, but when I first met her myself, I didn't know anything about her except that she looked beautiful. And now I found she's beautiful on the inside too. A long time ago I found that out. But you know what I'm saying? It, it is The name represents the person. And so now we look at God and we say, well, all I understand about God is represented by that one word, name. And it's so important to God. It comes up again and again in Scripture. Hallowed be your name. So where to pray? God, I pray, Father, we pray that your name will be hallowed. When was the last time you used that word outside of praying this prayer? It's an old word that's never used. What does it mean? It means cause your great and holy name to be esteemed highly, to be honoured, to be reverenced, to be treasured and valued. I want to exalt your name. 
I want it high and lifted up. He is the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. His name is holy. He is God. And as I understand who he is that I'm praying to, my, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I stand in awe of you, God. Now that will shape your prayer. Amen? Just to give an idea of how important this is to God. In Numbers 20, you remember, and this is one of a number of occasions, when the Israelites were going through the desert and they ran out of water and they were thirsty and they began to complain and moan and carry on, like people do. And Moses uh, was told by God to speak to the rock. But what Moses did, because he was angry... He said, now hear you, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And the Lord said to Moses, because you have not believed in me, to honor me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land that I've given them. Because you didn't honor my name, you're not going to enter in as you would have done otherwise. You'll be disciplined because of that. God still provided the water for the people and they drank and the animals. But God was not happy because Moses misrepresented God. He represented God in, in, in being the leader, but he misrepresented him in the way he went about it. He did not honor God in the eyes of the nation. Hallowed be your name is a very important start to our prayer. And how do we hallow it? First of all, by the way we pray. You see, in prayer, there's intimacy and there is reverence together. People who call God, I don't even like saying it, a man upstairs. It's terrible. It's like he is God. He holds your life in his hand. He is almighty. He's exalted. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Bill McDonald, William McDonald, um, who I did an internship with many years ago, the late... William MacDonald said this to us, God is infinitely high and he's intimately nigh. I like that. He's infinitely high, but he's intimately nigh. He's both. Intimacy and reverence as we approach God at, in prayer. Hallowed means to treat sacred. And so we come to God in that way. So we pray like Jesus actually taught us to pray back in John 14 where we looked at that. Uh, he said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that my father may be glorified. Prayer is so that God will ultimately be glorified. And so prayer is about God, not about us. He knows what we need. 
Jesus had just said that prior to giving the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, as a pattern for his people. He knows what our needs are. Prayer is for God, not for us. We start with worship. When you have a prayer time at home in your quiet time, you read the Bible and you spend time with God. It's not just reading the Bible. It's a time alone with God. Do you incorporate worship and praise into that? Or you read the Bible, see how it applies, and then go straight into prayer. It's, it's a really good thing to bring worship and praise. And when we come to church or watch online, not just to sing the words or uh, see that worship part of our services being, oh, yeah, that's good to do. I like singing or I don't like singing or I sing in tune or I don't, is irrelevant. The heart of worship, that we come to worship. The words of the song are simply to engage our thinking and, and move our hearts to say, Lord, you are worthy. So we enter into his presence with praise and worship and honor and glory. But, you know, when you start this way in prayer, it actually affects the way you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Really understanding that helps me to know I can trust him. In fact, it says in Psalm chapter 9, Psalm 9 verse 10, which I love this little verse, uh, those who know your name, those who know what you are like, God, those who know your name will trust you, for you, Lord, will never forsake those who seek you. The more we know about God and think about God, his amazing character and glory, the more we will trust him in, in our prayers and say, Lord, you can handle that. I trust you with it. It's in your hands because he is our Father in heaven whose name is hallowed. And not only do we hallow it by the way we pray, but we hallow it by the way we live. You see, if we pray, hallowed be your name, but in our lives, we're not living consistently with that. Like, we're really cheating it in our business. To, we're doing things that really are not ethical and right. God is not happy with that. That we're maybe being hypocritical in our lives. Preaching one thing, doing something else. Or flippant with God. Or profane using swear words that dishonor the name of God. Or unbelief or blasphemy. Using God's name to support injustice or, or, or oppression. There's all sorts of ways that we can dishonor the name of God as Christians. And so when we come to pray and we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Immediately we have to stop and say, Wow. Am I hallowing his name in my life? Am I honoring and glorifying God by the way I'm reacting to that person who just annoys me? Or do you not have people that just annoy you? I'm sure you do. Our 
Our Father in heaven. Can you pray on after re- praying, hallowed be your name? Or do you have to stop there and sort things out with God? All right, let's move on. Your kingdom come. So the second area our Father desires of us in prayer is commitment to his purpose. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom. That's God's great purpose in history is to establish his kingdom. And that presupposes that the kingdom is not established, that there is rebellion among His people, the people of, that he created. And there is. The world is made of people in rebellion against God since Adam and Eve. So it acknowledges human rebellion and says that God's purpose in history is to establish his kingdom, and he will. Nothing will stop God establishing his kingdom on earth. Your kingdom come acknowledges this, and the idea of kingdom is your rule, your dominion, your kingship. Your kingship come. Your rule come. Where the king reigns, that's his kingdom. In eastern countries back then and some places today, where there are two kingdoms side by side and there's no natural border like a river or a mountain range or a, 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 a sea, seashore, where two kingdoms, the east and the west, of two different kingdoms exist, you don't know where the border is. There's no border security. Uh, there's no border. There's nothing. There's just desert or, or land or whatever. And, and, and the only way you know which, when you're in the other kingdom is when you go into a village and those people swear allegiance to their king who's on the east. And... Uh, you go to the next village and, and, or, and you find that the people there, they swear allegiance to another king in a different area. And so it's, it's who's reigning in their lives, who's reigning in our lives, your kingdom come. So it's a present reality what we see in the Bible and it's a future prospect. So first of all, it's a future reality. A present reality that Jesus, when he went around preaching, we read in the Gospels, he preached what? What did, what did Matthew and Mark and Luke especially emphasize in his preaching? He preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. Oh, it was more than that. He got into the kingdom parables. The kingdom of God is like this and like that. It was foremost in his mind. And then he says in Luke When the Pharisees asked him when the kingdom of God was going to be established, he replied, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Because the king, if you like, is in your midst. So where Christ reigns, that's the kingdom of God. And so today we pray, thy kingdom come. We pray, Lord, rule over me. Your kingdom First of all, it has to start with me. Rule in my life. God has rescued us, we read in Colossians 1.13. He's rescued us from the power of darkness and has translated us or brought us into the kingdom of his son. 
It's also a call to mission. When we pray, your kingdom come, we pray, Lord, I'm praying that the rule of Christ will be extended in the hearts and minds of people in my community, in my family, in this nation, in the world. The missions who go out and take the gospel into far off areas. Uh, that, that your kingdom will come, that there will be a work of your spirit to bring people under the rule of Christ. There is a distinction between the church and the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom of God. But I like to think of it this way, that Christ is in the center and the church is there and the greater circle, the concentric circles, the greater circle is the kingdom of God. And so everyone who's in the church who has put their faith in Christ and belongs to Christ in the body of Christ are in that central circle. They are Christ is the head, he is Lord, he is King. But the kingdom of God will come, and that's the next point, that the kingdom of God is a future prospect as well. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, after talking about the resurrection um, of, the, of Christians, it says, then comes the end when he, in other words, Jesus Christ, uh, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. That's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to destroy every authority and power, no matter how great a superpower it might be or no matter how small. He is going to rule from Jerusalem over the whole world for a thousand years before the end happens and the new heavens and the new earth and all that happens in the book of Revelation. But the kingdom of God is a future prospect. So as we pray, thy kingdom come, what we're praying is this. Lord, I know that, that it's not the kingdom now. When the kingdom comes, there will be peace and righteousness. There's no peace and righteousness now. Now we can pray for we can pray for our government, and we should do. We can pray for the governments of the world. We can pray for peace and warfare. We can pray for all sorts of things, but we can't say, Lord, you have to do it. Because he's not promised to do it until Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. We can pray for healing. So when, when, when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom, uh, uh, there'll be complete healing for everybody. He will rule and there will be uh, uh, welfare of everybody and the well-being of everybody will be under his rule and so, but we can't pray for that now. We can pray for healing, but we can't say, Lord, you have to do it. Like some people think that because the Christ died for our sins and the healing's in the atonement, therefore, but hey, we haven't received a resurrection body yet. That comes later. That's in the future. The kingdom of God is in the age to come. The Bible talks about it. So perfect peace and health and justice. We want justice and we pray for justice, but it won't happen till Christ rules and prosperity and, and the list goes on. So, so praying this prayer, thy kingdom come is praying, Lord, I recognize that in my prayer life. So as I now come to my own petitions, I, that governs the way I pray. I still trust in you, but I can't 
guarantee that we're going to have peace in our divided world, in our divided state, in a divided city. Thirdly, our Father desires not just concern for his name, not just commitment for his purpose in the kingdom of God, but conformity to his will. He says to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. The emphasis in this prayer is on the verbs. Thy will be done in this petition. And actually, in the Greek, it is the, the, the verb comes first, and it's, uh, it's aorist imperative, which means it comes first. So it says, be done your will. But it is to be done immediately. It's imperative. It's, 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 it's to be done now. So as I pray, Lord, be done your will, and I'll do it now. It applies to my life. 98% of God's will is found in his word. So if you want to know what God's will is, read his word. Every time you read in, the, in your quiet time or whenever, and you see something uh, that applies to your life that you know you need to change, that's his will. It's not just his commandments. It's his will that we should be more like Christ. That we should be showing grace and, and, and forgiveness and mercy to people. Yes, to the people that really annoy us. Or the people who, who stand up against what we believe and we get upset about it. But hey, we're going to show his love, his grace. His mercy, because that's his will. We're to be humble, not ruling, but serving. That's his will. It may not be a command, but it's his will. We're to have the beauty of Christ. You won't find that in a commandment necessarily, but you, you will know that that's what God wants us to do. It's his will. And that would solve all the issues that Christians have with Christians, unfortunately, so sadly. Conformity to his will. And as I pray, Lord, thy will be done by me on earth as it is in heaven. How is the will of God done in heaven? God speaks and what happens? Immediately. Things happen. The angels run and do his bidding. Completely done. It's not half-heartedly done. It's joyfully done. Lord, may your will be done by me on earth as it is done in heaven. Just like that. I'm willing to do whatever you want and willingly do it immediately and completely and joyfully. Even if it's hard. If it means going up to that brother or sister that I know we've got a thing going that has divided us and sorting it out with them, it's hard, but I will do it joyfully. I will do it happily. I will do it completely. I'll do it now. And we can't pray any more in the prayer unless we've prayed that thy will be done and put the words by me in the middle because that's really what it's saying. 
Jesus said, this is the way you ought to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we can go on to give us this day our daily bread. Make me a captive Lord, we sometimes sing. Do you know that hymn? Does anyone know that hymn? Make me a captive Lord? Go to YouTube and, and type it in and check it out. It's beautiful. But it's very challenging. Let me read the first and last verse. Make me a captive Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conquer be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me within thine arms, and strong shall be my hand. My will is not my own, till thou hast made it thine. I'll repeat that. Thy, my will is not my own until thou hast made it thine. If it would reach the monarch's throne, it must its crown resign. It only stands unbent amid the clashing strife when on thy bosom it has lent and found in thee its life. Doing God's will is not giving in to God. It's giving to God. It's giving him your will. And when you do, he sets you free. So how are these petitions? You'll see the last slide on the, on the screen. How do these petitions condition the way we approach God in prayer? Can you pray on? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, once I've got that sorted with God, once my prayer has come through that, I'm in line. I've got the compass. I'm heading in the right direction. And I can pray for those needs, those concerns that are really on my heart to pray for. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, our prayer life, all of us, I'm sure, I certainly do, need to be challenged and encouraged in my prayer life, and we all do. Help us, we pray, as we take these words and from the lips of Jesus and apply them to our own prayer life. May we uh, be governed by them, led by them, and encouraged by them, we pray, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <laughs>